0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the 34th episode of the Connectivity Podcast. I'm Matthias Fridström, and I've spent the last 25 years inside the Connectivity community. In this pod, we invite guests to deep dive into one or many subjects to simply learn more about connectivity. And in this 34th episode, I'm extremely happy to continue to talk to Maxi Reynolds from Subsea Cloud. If you would kind of explain to someone who's not really understanding how this looks like, you know, how big is a pod that you're yeah. lowering down into the water? Is it like a, a huge big house or is it smaller than that uh, or is it much larger than yeah. sort of?
1: No, they're they're small. They're uh, shipping container size. They okay. res- they very much resemble a shipping container. Um, and we've done that for a few reasons. The first is that that's what came to mind. But the second is that, um, you know, we have these standardized containers for a reason. And the guy that originally came up with them is a a genius. There's a whole book on that, and I'll (laughs) email it to you so you can put it in your show notes. But essentially, they're like 20-foot shipping containers, 20 feet by about eight and a half. Mm -hmm. We can fit like 18 racks in there, about 800 servers, call it. And we lower them into the water. They're filled with a fluid, a proprietary fluid. And we lower them onto the seabed where we have guideposts in place for them. We lock them in and we leave them there. We connect them subsea to power and telecoms. For some clients, um, and I'll give you examples, we can bury them subsea. We can like put them under the sand. It yep. depends wow. on the seabed, but... We can do that. And typically, any request for that will be military to
0: mm-hmm. start
1: with. And it's not an absolute barrier, right? You can still detect them subsea, but you need disruptive equipment if you're going to go down and get those. Mm-hmm. So um, it's helpful. And when we go into busy ports, so we are looking at Singapore, Mm. Um currently. And if we go into Singapore, then we'll probably have to bury them subsea. Well obviously, you know, you have to give fishermen notice. They can't drop anchor on them, but it is just helpful because it's quite a shallow port in places. So mm. well, that's Yeah.
0: And there's I, there's there's really I, no yeah. risk. Yeah. There's no risk that they're floating away.
1: No, no, no. No risk they're floating away. They're not buoyant. And we we secure them to the seafloor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and and the, the yep, go ahead.
0: No, you you go ahead. I'm curious how you <laughs> how you <laughs> melt them to the sea seabed or uh, how you stuck get them stuck there.
1: Yeah, we have what are called guide posts, mm-hmm. and they are just as they they sound. So the guide posts are attached to the seabed. We we can do it through suction cups. We can do it through. There's a there's a couple of different methods, but essentially just like any other subsea asset, except for the cables. We don't really do that with them. But if you think of uh, drilling rigs, they are anchored to the seafloor in some way. Some of them are drilled down. Some of them, there are varying methods. So we we use guideposts. And basically, it's sort of, think of just sort of four corners, almost like a four-poster bed. Mm. And we use An ROV to guide, so a remotely operated vehicle to guide the pod down to mm. its resting place, and we literally lock on it's like a locking key, think mm. of it that way. And then, if you're going to steal that, if you're a nation state and just about every nation is a nation state at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to steal those, then you risk destroying what's inside. It's extremely difficult to remove them from that locked in place. Okay. So it's kind of a, got this self-destruct feature, if mm-hmm. you like. If, you, if you're going to physically steal this container, then A, it will be detectable both from the sensors inside, but also, you know, it's, Satellites, we know where most ships are through different databases and platforms. Um, And of course, ships can turn their location off, fully get it. But there are a lot of sort of different ways that we um, monitor the situation. And then, so you would need quite a lot of equipment to go down to get it. And if you snatch it off the guidepost, most likely what's inside will be destroyed.
0: Okay most likely yeah yeah has the, has the water temperature anything to do with this you know is are there favorable temperatures or not
1: that uh no, it doesn't matter to us. We can deploy in uh, tropical waters mm. we we need a delta, of course, but because of the efficiency of fluid and cooling, um, we can deploy in tropical waters of course you know colder waters i can't say that they're better but i think it sounds bare yeah. um and the sort of other thing that tends to come up is and and it's actually one of the challenges how we get talking about this mm. one of the challenges on subsea is initially is explaining to people that we are not heating the oceans so uh without getting like Much into the weeds and having people turn off, (laughs) uh, water warms up more slowly than air and it can actually hold more heat. So, the specific heat of water that is the term is higher than most other substances. So, it absorbs more heat before its own temperature increases by degrees. So, said sort of another way, water needs. Four times as much energy to raise its temperature by one degree as the same mass of air does. So we've measured in our testing
0: yeah.
1: how the water heats up, and it looks as though it heats up by about a thousandth of a degree because the water is always flowing. We're not going to, yeah. you know, it's not stagnant, um, and it's sort of like I. It's not. It's not a perfect analogy, but you know when you're standing like beside your pool, well, you're, you're in Scandinavia, you don't have a pool. Um, when you are at the beach and it's very hot and the sand's hot and you get into the water and it's cool, there is a reason for that. Like It's it's very similar. So I, I try, you know, for non-technical people, that's how I usually explain it. Most people accept it. I think we face a lot of opposition from... Uh, environmental groups as we should if Mm -hmm. their job is to look after the environment because they think that other people won't do that then great we don't we don't want to be like we don't want to be diametric like opponents almost come we'll share the information you can be around the testing I think it's a good thing people are looking out for the environment but we are our biggest like messaging thing at the moment. What we are fighting for is to say we're actually not bad for the environment. We're really good for the environment. We save about 40% of the carbon emissions at a minimum. So that's where we are
0: just now. Yeah, and that's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, wh- what's kind of the expected lifetime of this of, of these pods, you know? Yeah. Uh, will yeah. you just re... I guess this, the server's getting older quicker than the pod itself.
1: Correct, correct. Uh, to work with uh, most of the hyperscalers, the, the the ones that we are working with, you have to have longevity. Um, so we have about a 25 year lifespan on just the outer components
0: mm-hmm.
1: of the pods, the servers. You know, they're not ours, and we don't care how often you uh, update them, change them out, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, about 25 years. And what we'll do is we will reuse those, repurpose those. So for some, we'll just reuse as data centers. We'll you know move them areas or we'll simply just switch out the servers and put them back down. In other cases, if we're downsizing or if something's moving, wh- whatever the reason may be, we'll use them for some of our, our other services, which is, again obviously putting things subsea. So we put PFEs subsea um, and things like that. So we'll we'll reuse. And the other thing that we that we also do is we recycle. So some of the companies that we have partnerships with, we use uh, that are oil and gas. We will recycle their assets where possible Mm. and so we get a lot of reuse but yeah longevity is Mm. one thing that people care about the other thing is robotics companies the larger companies are looking towards robotics which i did not know until fairly recently so that's interesting. We are not our first generation, but our second and definitely our third will have robotics inside where we can simply go to like a spare pile of servers sort of in the corner of the pod mm-hmm. and switch them out when possible. We'll see. Well mm-hmm. it's definitely not our first generation, but you know, most of us came from building subsea robots. So it's not completely insane. To think that yeah. it will happen soon.
0: Wow, that's yeah. really really cool. Um, one other thing we struggle with in the telecom business is finding the right people, and and that's typically because we're not as cool as the hyperscalers. But I think your company <laughs> you're, you're absolutely cooler than the hyperscalers. Do you <laughs> do you feel that you you can attract good people to work for you, or is that a struggle? Even though you have a really interesting idea,
1: we look everywhere for people because of a few things like. I'm gonna. This is this is gonna be a long one, so prepare yourselves. <laughs> but essentially, <laughs> um, we look everywhere. We tend to look at people who've worked offshore, but I don't actually care. What we talked about earlier with the book is, if you're curious and you're persistent, like you have every shot in life, you have every chance, right? So that's what I look for. The rest is teachable. For now. As a startup, we are not above ourselves in terms of who we're looking at. We don't need you to have twenty years um training as like a subsea robotics pilot or a subsea data center engineer because a, it's not possible, but B, what we are doing isn't so complex that we can't teach you or at least can teach you in the com- like constituent parts. Now, I need a lot of welders from time to time. <laughs> those i would prefer to have some experience and some certifications but the rest of it like is is very much teachable so for the hyperscalers we do look to be garnering some attention from people that work or have worked in some of the larger companies But it's sort of like when a country becomes greener by outsourcing its manufacturing, great you're emitting less carbon but it's still a net disbenefit for the globe because now some other country is producing for you and the entire globe is absolutely not better off. So for me, I try to look at the entire ecosystem Um, we want curious, persistent, motivated people that can be taught. So we'll teach them. And that's a net benefit for all companies because they might leave us. They might not like our culture in five years' time or five months' time, but you will have training. You'll be part of the workforce. And we need that as an entire ecosystem. So I kind of, I have a bit of a pet peeve around this just now. I'm I'm part of a few like initiatives. Um, PTC is a... Mm-hmm. Uh, an organization yet and I'm part of this beyond initiative where we're battling to get young people into the industry and it's because A, they don't know about us which is a whole other yep. topic which we can come to but aside from that we have old white men essentially in powers of position where nepotism is key Or they don't believe that younger generations can be taught. And that kind of annoys me because, yes, the younger than mine generation, a little bit different, but they're teachable and they're just different than us. But we're treating them as if... uh, you know they've got like leprosy as a as a whole generation. <laughs> so that that bugs me a little bit. And the whole sort of what we are doing is too complex to teach. No, it isn't. It really is not. It's just I think it's I've got, I've got I could go on and on about this. I'm yeah. going to stop.
0: Yeah. No, but I fully <laughs> agree with you. Uh, we have we see the same problem here. And I I kind of entered the the uh, at the dot com era, and I was really young, and yeah. and I entered the submarine cable side myself. I started my work there as well. Uh, and I remember most of us are still around, and, and you're absolutely right <laughs> that the the whole technology sector is just too old uh, and too male dominated. Yeah. So we just need to fix that. But and it's really really good. How many people are you today? Uh, roughly, there's
1: about five of us full time today. Mm-hmm. We have contractors that come in if we get a project, but um, next year. I- think it looks we're forecasting to hire about 20 people over the course of the year <clears throat> for the first three quarters we'll probably hire about that mm-hmm. um i like our little team i can't remember there's a there's like a book or an article or someone smart said that after a certain amount of people like you kind of can't get to everyone anymore I should yep. really have looked up before I talked about it but essentially I, I do like our little team having a company is a little bit like having a child you need it to go out into the world you have to get it out there and you know get it socialized and but you get a little bit nervous about scared for it like i don't want to send my child to school yep. sort of thing it's a little bit like that so i like our little team we're very um solution centric N- none of us uh, look at problems and are defeated by them it's we love a problem that's hard to solve and i am a little bit worried about as we grow how do we how do we keep that how do we keep that culture and that uh, i'm an overthinker so yep. We'll see what
0: happens. <laughs> yeah, No, I, I think that's really good. And I, I've also read read the same type of books where they say, you know, once you're okay. beyond 40 people, then no one really knows that's everyone. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I can say, you know, we're still only 500 people here in Aurelien. And I still feel there is a feeling of uh, not everyone knowing everyone, but still uh, a size that can be handled by like a familiar style. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know... <clears throat> There's the everyone knowing everyone is, is that you are right. And as long as you have the feeling that you're part of something, I think that's very helpful. So almost like you, you're you branding the people or you're creating the evangelists. Yeah. Like I think that that is very possible. So I think it's the, the overall culture is what I will continue to work on. Um, and I'll just have to be okay with not knowing everyone, seeing everyone all the time, getting to boss everyone around, yeah. which is like my favorite thing to do. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see how it goes. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> okay. uh,
0: you've mentioned sustainability a number of times, and that's obviously the key word these days, and, and everyone is trying to be more sustainable. And I, I, I would imagine people feel that the whole purpose of what you're doing Is to do with sustainability in some way. But you also said you see some skeptical people around and they feel, you know, you warm up the oceans, blah, blah, blah. How do you see the progress of this? Because I guess this will be the future, these type of uh, Mm -hmm. new things, you know. Uh, What's what's your plan there to really turn everyone around in your favor?
1: Good question. (laughs) So, basically, we prove our sustainability through like a few intersecting things so there's meticulous documentation i know like boring answer but it's true specifically for our like upcoming commercial prototype and we can talk about that later but we also look at measurements and third party impartial audits and overall actually like the best way to prove our sustainability is transparency so we are focused on sustainability and environmentally sound engineering and we can't afford not to be so we just we don't have a business in today's world without this central tenet like we I fully understand the expectation for corporations to contribute more to society and social progress through their activities I get that My generation grew up looking at the previous two generations and thinking, oh, my God, like, what do you mean this is just how it's done? It's absolutely the most dangerous red flag, mental bias, absurdity we have in business today. That phrase, this is just how it's done. This is how we've always done it. I I hate it. So we can do things differently we you have to prove that that difference is better and that's like what we are trying to do that's what we're setting out to do so we don't look at any group that poses us as an enemy so to speak and and you know that's a harsh word but we don't we just think okay let us prove it to you um and not to get sort of too holier than thou but i do think i as the CEO of the company and what I show and what my team currently believes is that what people want um, from the companies that are at work in the world today is transparency and not to transparency and not to put profits before absolutely everything. So I think our willingness to embrace that cultural, cultural frontier is irrevocably linked to our success. So we do take that fairly seriously so we measure we document we show we're transparent if it doesn't work the first time then okay we'll tweak that and we'll do it again that's engineering it's iterations and so we're we're comfortable with that and i think that's the only way to do it i I cannot think of another way to do
0: it well that sounds sounds like a very very good way to do it so kind of where are you today you know Uh, how many of these ones do you have in the water
1: Interesting question. So we do not know. Um, We gave, (laughs) we lost them. No, oh (laughs) dear God. Do not let that be the sound bite. Um, What happened is we worked with a uh, military faction organization, Friendly, Mm. and we are foreign, all of us in this company currently. we are Most of us are domiciled within the States, but we're still foreigners. So we actually don't get to know that much about the pods that we gave, but we gave uh, quite a lot of megawatts. Um, let's let's say it was around 9, 10 megawatts, and we do not know how many are still functioning. And, and you know, we're attractive to military organizations because the pods have a very tactical transitional quality to them. They are the right they're they're made for intermodal transport. You asked me earlier what size are they? They're yeah. shipping containers for yeah. a few different reasons. One we can get a lot of them on the back of a ship, yep. which we need to do to get them out to sea, but also you can get them into military planes quite easily. So they can be deployed quite quickly, depending on the infrastructure, depending you know where they're going to, and they can be removed quite quickly. So I think that makes us quite attractive to those types of
0: companies. Oh, that sounds great. Sounds really good. I, I see on the time here, we're getting towards the end of this conversation. I would love to just continue yeah. to talk, but it's it's really, really good. But <laughs> but let's sort of on, on a final note here, you know, if you and I would have this conversation in five years, you know, where would yeah. you be, and, and what do you what do you think about the future?
1: Uh, again, you know, we talked about, or I said earlier that I completely overestimated what I would do in one year, and completely underestimated what we could do in five years. Um, in five years, I think we'll see widespread adoption of immersion cooling. Mm-hmm. Um, this data uh, intensive technologies like artificial intelligence and the internet of things become more widespread. Um, I think we will see... Actually, I think we'll see like the great oppressor of immersion cooling, like the drag on the progress of immersion cooling, which is capillary action, and if you're not familiar with it under that term, It's the ability of liquid to flow vertically and horizontally Mm. along narrow spaces, even in opposition to external forces like gravity. So I think we'll see that is pretty much eradicated um, through some hardware design. Um, And I think the other thing that I'll see that's related to my business is that uh, with IoT, uh, the Internet of Things, and computationally intensive technologies. I think more edge computing um, will be around, So more modular builds, and modular actually leads to longevity, which we didn't talk about so much earlier. But that is one of the keys to longevity is to build in a in a modular way. I, I think that's probably.
0: Yeah, no, I what think was that was it? a really good, a good summary of the list. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a it's been a fantastic conversation and I'm um, I'm so happy to have you here. So, uh yeah, Maxi, thank you very much for for joining me in this conversation.
1: Thank you. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks everyone for listening. We will soon be back with the new guests, so please follow us on Twitter, ConnectivityPod, for updates. Stay tuned until next time.